1: child you know your imagination runs right and you create these fantasy worlds about about where you were originally from. My birth mother is a princess and she lives in a castle and she's from France and my father is a count and he lives in Switzerland and you know they have servants and they have chauffeurs and I'm really from a fairy tale princess background and one day my my prince will come along and and whisk me away and, and, and show me exactly where I came from.
2: My name is Eva Tiro. I'm 12, and that's my mum. Her name is Jenny. And once upon a time, when she was a baby, she was adopted.
0: Did she look like me? Did she run? Did she jump? Did she read? All of these questions that you would be asking yourself all the time.
2: And this is my mum's birth mother, my nana.
0: You would think about her every day.
2: And this is a story about how people can be separated and find each other and then nearly lose each other again
0: kind of would imagine, I had a picture of her in my head, you know when she was making her communion or making her confirmation or going to secondary school or what colour her hair was was it long, was it short
1: I don't think anyone realises the hurt and the pain that gets buried so deep as a result of an adoption for all parties and then when The reunion happens, all that comes out to the surface.
2: My mum was adopted in the 1970s, just like thousands and thousands of other babies in Ireland. In
0: 1972, it just was not an option. I don't believe there was even, you know, maternity leave at that stage. And at that stage, you wouldn't be even able to get a, a, a bedsitter with your baby And it was just so frowned upon, totally frowned upon. You were looked at as if you were just almost not a very good kind of human being. I'd been going out with Jenny's dad for about a year and a half, perhaps. I was 20. I think he was probably 24, 25. And at 20, I discovered I was pregnant. And I was absolutely in shatters I just could not believe it you know so I talked to Jenny's dad and he suggested will we get married we'd never talked about marriage never no there's no way I would ever have got married and he was delighted I think (laughs) he was very happy that I said no I think it was kind of it was kind of panic. And he suggested maybe we should terminate the pregnancy. And I'm not saying I didn't think about it, but I couldn't live with myself if I'd done that, so I said no no, I'm going to go ahead with this pregnancy and plough through it. So I then put it out of my mind until I felt this baby kicking me and I said this is real. This is actually, this is definitely happening. I continued working. I didn't tell anybody. Nobody. My sister knew. Well, and obviously Jenny's dad. And nobody else. Whether they noticed that I was obviously putting on weight. I'd say that people may have guessed. The hardest thing was having to hide it. Having to pretend that you're not. So, three weeks before Jenny was born, I went into St. Rita's nursing home. Jenny was due on the 6th of April, and she was born on the 11th. He was so vulnerable and so... petrified. Petrified, absolutely. and, And in shock, I think. And so I don't think I asked any questions. I think if they'd said to me walk around this place 40 times naked, I'd say, well, fine, that's what I have to do. So I didn't... They recommended that I wouldn't see my baby. Every decision was made for you, really. Everything was taken away from you. This is going to be the best for your baby, and, and you just go along with it, I think. They told me it was a girl and that she was doing well for the two days it didn't tell me anything else I saw her I saw her hair her black hair she had a huge amount of black hair but you were so afraid to ask questions and it was so strange that she was there and I was there and we couldn't see one another one day I saw a nurse coming down the stairs with the baby and I thought this could be her what am I supposed to do Am I supposed to turn around? Anyway, I kept going and the sister, the nurse, kept going. So then I went home after the six days and got my strength back again. And then went back to work. I think after a week, a week and a half.
1: And then Magdalene and Brendan came out and collected me.
2: Magdalene and Brendan were my nana and grandad. I didn't know them very well because they died when I was little.
1: They went over to uh, my Auntie Anne's house first in Nevin. my Auntie Anne and Uncle Cherry. Hello. you? I'm
3: grand. How are you? I'm grand. How are you?
2: Auntie Anne was one of Magdalene's best friends.
3: She came in this day with this bundle... And it was lovely. She just got her from out somewhere, Black Rock, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, she was so delighted. And Jenny was brutally wrapped up. She was, I thought she was, you know, when you see a baby, the loveliest baby you ever saw. I thought that. I thought she was really lovely. And Magdalene was so, she was really in rapture. She'd say, I can't believe she's mine. She'd say, I can't believe it. Like, I can still remember her face, you know, that day that she was so, you know, overjoyed. It was lovely. It was really lovely. I'm sure it was one of the happiest days of her life. She always wanted children. She she
1: loved children? Yeah. She always, she was like
3: the Piper. Yeah. She'd have them singing and dancing. That was her. But Magdalene literally couldn't boil an egg.
1: No concept of a houseworker. Uh, cooking her.
3: Well, she was an artist. She painted but yeah. she
1: never wore shoes. Yeah. And she loved her garden. She'd be out like, yeah, planting yeah, the garden yeah, all yeah. the time and,
3: and she was quite fun. She had a great sense of humour. She was a, a lovely person.
2: Magdalene and Brendan had four other children after they adopted my mum. I ordered my birth certificate yesterday. Did you?
1: Yes. Uh, I rang off. Births, deaths, and marriages. You see, I never had a birth certificate. You have an adoption certificate, yes, yeah. which listed your mother and your father as my, as Magdalene and Brandon, my adoptive yeah. parents. Oh, I see. Yes. You do have a birth certificate. You just don't have access to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I was named Martina, so I have a birth certificate where I'm listed as Martina and under my mother's maiden name.
0: After six months, then you must go to a solicitor on Aston Quay, and I'll never forget it. It was the coldest, coldest feeling I've ever felt. I had to swear on the Bible to say that I wasn't going to change my mind, that I was signing these legal documents, and that this was a legal document that I was signing, and that this was the final, the final say.
1: When I came home this was Road, It was it was in May. But the final papers aren't signed, signed six until months. Yes, six yes. months later. So it was December. was an anxious
3: six months from so for Mike, and those six months, mm, I think she, she was, was really yes,
1: kind of she was fearful that something would
3: go something wrong. Something would go wrong, mm. and, and yeah. I'd be taken away, taken away again. Yeah. you
1: know.
0: And it was so formal. Oh, it was awful. Absolutely dreadful. I walked out of it, and I walked up Aston Key on my own. I don't think I saw anything. Went into the harp, and I met Jenny's dad afterwards. And I don't think I could talk. And then you just have to pick up the pieces again and move on. Just, I used to think about her all the time. She in Dublin? In the country? Where would she be? You would think about her every day, every minute of the day. But certainly, her birthday, certainly, that was a very sad day.
1: There was always just a lovely atmosphere in this house.
3: I remember making the cake. or I used to make cakes for, you know, thing. and I'd made the cake. I remember making the cake, and it was the first birthday cake for Agden. But I remember seeing the cake and the one candle on it, you know, and I had to put her name, of course, on it. Like, it was a party, and I can kind of see the cake, you Anne know. Anne
1: cooks all the cakes, gorgeous cake. In the evening, we'd sit down, and, you know, I always remember Anne, like, you know, peeling, like, a hundred potatoes, you know. <laughs> you would you'd be standing at the cooker. You know, somebody might be sitting there doing their homework, or somebody could be sitting... I could be sitting here reading a book, or... We Shattered. Might
0: be- Shattered, literally. And so helpless and so... And just go back to work again and it's almost like as if, as if it didn't happen. And that is difficult, you know. It'll always be difficult. I think it must be very difficult for the dad, Jenny's dad, because they don't know how you feel and I was so craving for attention. I certainly wasn't thinking right. My mind certainly was just all over the place. I was doing everything. Yes, I was I was going to bed, going out, doing all the things, but doing them because that's what you have to do. I felt very depressed, extremely depressed. I had to attend a psychiatrist for a while, and that was good because at least I could talk to him and I could express, tell him exactly how I was feeling. Jenny's dad and I were still going out together. Shortly after that, the relationship began to deteriorate, I think. It was very difficult, I think, for any relationship to sustain the grief that we'd both gone through. And then it ended. I felt I'd just lost everything in life.
2: My mum was nine when she found out she was adopted. Which is relatively late.
1: My mother couldn't bring herself to tell me herself, so what happened was an aunt of mine, um, we were walking home from mass one day and I can still picture the road and the house we were outside and the words she used was, you have two mummies and two daddies. And I I was nine and I was struggling to get my head around what do you mean I, it didn't make any sense to me and it was your mum and dad um, couldn't look after you so your mommy and daddy now um, took you and they, they're they your mommy and daddy now and we went home my mum said to my aunt uh, I could hear her uh, does she know and my aunt says yes She knows now. And it was really never spoken about again. It was just in my head and I fretted about it. I didn't fully understand it. At first I thought it was a bit of a novelty. I have two mummies and two daddies. This is brilliant. I have backup. (laughs) And and as the years went by and I was kind of hitting my teenage years, the realisation began to hit me of what it meant. And that curiosity then stayed with me. Six <laughs> Hi, how are you? Yes. Good, how are you? Hi, Hi. How are Hi. you? My sister more? Oh, nice this is Nicole. Yeah. This is my baby sister, the youngest sister. of the five. I was. What's on? I love her anyway. You know, you don't want to think that. I, I didn't want to think that Jenny would see a life with somebody else that was better than what she had at home. I didn't want her to look in at her birth mother's family and kind of say, I should have grown up there because, you know, I I just, that would have killed me because I'm thinking, you grew up with us. This is your home. This is your family. You know, we love you very much. And that was my big fear was that she'd, you know, she'd look at them and say, "Hmm, maybe, you know, I would have been happier over there, but I don't think you would have been. You know, Maura and and my other brothers and sisters, they are my family. They are my family, without question of a doubt. I look different to y'all, yeah. and you know, and and my personality would be quite different to y'all as well. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for somebody who's not adopted to understand this, mm-hmm. but there's a great sadness in being a part of a family, but inside knowing you're not really. That's, I mean, that that's something that we couldn't imagine. I mean, that's the side of, of Jenny's upbringing that we would not be able to say, say I know. Because we don't know.
2: That week, my mum was waiting for a very important letter to arrive in the post. I
1: was showing more of my birth certificate
2: earlier. Oh, really? Mm. It arrived?
1: It arrived in the post, yeah. And I was shaking like a leaf when it arrived. Oh, I didn't think I was going to get as upset as I did. Mm. It was like opening your leave search results. You know, you have the envelope in your hand and you just can't bring yourself to open it. And I kind of had to set a place at the table and sit down and light a cigarette and then, like, peel open the envelope and, you know, you read down through it and and you just... You look at it and you say, that's who I used to be. But this... I... I was this person... I was given a name. Being 36 and, and seeing this for the first time. I know a name sounds like it's nothing. But everyone defines their by... I define myself as being a Tyrrell. I didn't know if I was just Baby A in Cot C. Or whether I was, you know, uh, Martina. I was horrified myself how... Emotional and upsetting it was. And I'm not saying all adopted people feel like this.
2: Ever since my mum found out she was adopted, she always wanted to know where she came from.
1: The first time my mother spoke to me about my adoption, I think I was about 16, she sat down at the kitchen table with me and she started to cry and said, if you want to trace, I'll support you all the way. At the time I said, no, no, I've no interest. Even though in my head I was going to go, and I'd love to. But I couldn't put her through that. I think you always have hope.
0: If you don't have hope, you don't have anything, you know. It's very difficult to go on unless you at least have some hope.
1: But I went and I did it secretly on my own. And I met my birth mother when I was 20 for the first time.
0: So when I did meet her, it was wonderful. Wonderful, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Petrified and frightened and... Delight, shock, fear, everything. Anxious and tense, very... Not knowing what to expect. But
0: really delight, I think.
1: There were very strict rules at the time. Okay, you can meet her, but you're not allowed to tell each other what your names are. You're not allowed to... And then they they met met for the first time. And they brought us into a room like a a doctor surgery kind of room with a couple of chairs and a table in the middle and a couple of magazines. And they brought in, like, tea and custard creams. And my birth mother came in, and that was the first time I saw her. And an awful lot of that day is shock. And and I remember snippets. I remember what she was wearing. Oh, she was just... She was so young because she was twenty when she had me, so I was so she was only forty, but she was slim and she was beautifully dressed in these a, a, a peach cashmere coat and a little black um, skirt to her knee and black tights and a pair of court shoes, and very tidy looking and, and petite, and her hair was perfect and her makeup was perfect and she had a beautiful handbag and she looked really expensively dressed you know and I think I was wearing something like a navy tracksuit or something I mean the state of me because I think I was in such a tizzy going to it that I was didn't know what to do or what to wear or anything and you'd think I would have put in a bit of an effort but anyway I was there in a tracksuit and here she was in this beautiful coat and handbag and she just looked pristine you know one of those people that look so groomed and they're First thing she did, she wrapped her arms around me and gave me a huge, big hug.
0: She was wearing a tracksuit, a a navy tracksuit. She was a much bigger girl than she is now. I don't know it was important, what she looked like, just to see her and touch her and kiss her and and cuddle her and, and just to be sitting in the room with her.
1: She was so excited, she couldn't believe this. This was her child sitting in front of her. And she was... Just so thrilled that this day had come. And she had a bag with her. And in this bag were photographs. And I had this picture in my head of her in her home, going round and collecting, you know, photographs that you'd have on tops of pianos and on mantelpieces and putting everything into the bag. And I discovered I had a sister who was 10 at the time. Now, remember, I was sitting down with this woman and I didn't even know what her name was. And I felt, well, fake this now. And I said, I'm going to tell you my name. I said, my name is Jenny. And she didn't tell me her name. And that kind of struck me, you know. And then I asked really stupid questions like, do you bite your nails? Because I bit my nails at the time. But I was more interested... I mean, if she could have sat there and not talked for an hour and just let me look at her, would have been perfect. We left anyway after about an hour and a half and went across to the pub across the road. My boyfriend, Sven, was waiting for me over there and she decided to sit at a different table because it was kind of awkward. She was waiting for somebody to come and collect her and I'll never forget it, she ordered a bloody Mary. I think the only time I'd seen Bloody Marys was on the television, you know. But here she was in her cashmere coat and her beautiful handbag in her Bloody Mary, you know. I was kind of, this can't really be my mother. We left that day and I never saw her again.
2: Well, for years and years anyway.
0: I was waiting for the phone to ring and I was actually afraid to leave the house. just Just waiting for that phone to ring. And it didn't. And I remember making contact with the Adoption Society. And I told them that I had met her and that she said she was going to make contact with me again. And the sister said, you're very lucky that you had one, that you had one visit. The intention was that she was going to make contact with me again in the next few weeks. However, that didn't happen for fourteen years.
1: But I never thought about the. Well, what after? What happens after I meet her? Do I want to have a friendship with the woman? Do we just want to exchange Christmas cards? Do I want to meet her extended family? And I was afraid of hurting my parents. And that was a huge factor in me deciding, I'm just going to leave it there. A couple of years later, I went on to have my own daughter. And my life, you know, started.
2: That was me. I was born in 1996. The other big thing that happened during those years was that my nana and grandad both died.
0: Waiting and wasting and waiting.
2: And then two years ago, my ma made contact with her birth mother again.
0: Until I got the letter two years ago. And I read it a few times. I just I could not believe it.
1: And I kept reading it and reading it and reading it. I was just consumed by it all week. I went out and I bought a new outfit and uh I went into the room and and she looked lovely. She was wearing a beautiful coat and I remembered that from the first time as well. Funny. She's a beautiful black coat on with flowers at the bottom. And she didn't know I had become a mother, you know. She didn't know what my life had been like. And uh, we sat and we talked for about two and a half hours.
0: Definitely that day, I thought that she looked like me, just behaved even like me. She even talks like me, I think.
1: The way she even moved her head. I wasn't home long and she texted me. And that was the start of it. So the following week we went for dinner to the Trocadero and it was like trying to squeeze 35 years then of life into two hours. I mean, the words were just tumbling out of our mouths. We had so much to tell each other. And it was a wonderful, wonderful night and we just didn't want it to end. It was funny, the waiter in the Trocadero came up and asked us, you know how, were we enjoying our meal? And he looked at the two of us and he said, you don't happen to be related, do you? And it was the strangest sensation because here was somebody looking at us, a total stranger, seeing this resemblance that I don't think we have or had seen at the time. We didn't know what to say and we just kind of looked at each other and smiled and just kind of nodded. And We started kind of meeting up kind of every three, four weeks maybe. And talking to each other on the phone and texting. And we could talk on the phone for four, five, six hours at a time. Oh, the first few weeks are so intense. You are you want to tell them everything that's happened in your life. They want to tell you everything about their life.
0: In the beginning, it's like a, a honeymoon or it's like falling in love with someone. You can't get this out of your mind and you're just waiting for the next call to come. And yet you don't want to be in their space. And it's very difficult to pull back. It's really very difficult because it's so emotional.
1: And then you start to realise how much you missed. And then the heart really begins to kick in. And infuriating anger. I was so angry with her. You know, you have this beautiful life, this beautiful home. My sister has had the privilege of growing up with you and look at everything I have lost and I was hiding it from her I suppose and if she'd phone me I'd be jolly and happy on the phone but I didn't feel jolly and happy Well how did I spend my birthday Um, Saturday the 11th of April I was in my aunt's for dinner tonight we had such a lovely time. My brother was there, my sister, their respective partners. Myself, my cousins. I really felt part of a family. I have some photographs, actually, that I wanted to show you. That's my birth month. She was pregnant with me in that photo. <laughs> you can't see her tummy, but I think you can see the similarity. And she's eclectic in her dress. That's me. <laughs> but, um, my birth mum gave me these photographs that she had kept, and they're all dated at the back. The 23rd of June, 1972. I was about nine weeks old when that photograph was taken. With her 21st you know weeks after I was born she was um, she was celebrating her 21st and that must have been hard
0: and she hits rock bottom I think
2: Things started to go wrong I felt that
1: she, she should have made more of an effort to to keep me. I was jealous, I was jealous of my sister. I was jealous of well, how come she kept her when she didn't keep me? How come she lives in this beautiful home now, this privileged life and, and, and I was the sacrificial lamb to allow all this to happen. I grew up in a lovely home um, um, with loving parents. And I felt really bad for feeling this anger and really confused about it. You know, you try and push it away and you try and ignore it and pretend it's not there and you just can't. And it all got out of hand one night.
0: I was invited to her place one evening.
1: I cooked dinner. My daughter went to bed and we sat up and we were talking and drinking wine, and I snapped. And it was horrific for me and absolutely horrific for my birth mother because it was a total bolt out of the blue for her because I I hadn't really given her any warning of how I felt and and then. It was just like you know, the lid coming off a steam and pot. You know, like just I just exploded in this rage and I, launched like this awful attack on her. I've never done anything before like it in my life. I'm, I'm not. I don't have a temper. And I was so hurt and so angry, and the words were just spilling out of my mouth like and hate and the awful, awful things I said to her. And she literally stumbled out the door. And it was, like, late at night. It was, like, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe.
0: She just lashed out at me and said, How could you? How could you? I was just absolutely... Is this real? Is this really happening? Oh, she said, I wish you had had an abortion. And I said, Take that back whatever you do just take that back because if I had had an abortion I wouldn't be talking to you and then she said why didn't you keep me why didn't you and I tried to explain sort of say look you've got to go back to 1972 what it was like how difficult it was how I thought I was doing the best because this is what you were told To have a mum and a dad. There had to be a mum and a dad in every home, regardless of how the mum and dad behaved. And I said, Jenny, I really think I have to leave. And I got into the taxi and I felt, gosh, never be able to recover from this. It's too, you know, it's too difficult.
1: I was like a deflated balloon then and I just kind of collapsed and I wept and I cried And you know that feeling you wake up the next day and you go, oh God, oh God, how can I fix this? What am I going to do? And I couldn't go to work. And I sat in a dark room for two days and I just cried and cried and cried. And I didn't know how we were going to fix this. I phoned her the next day and I apologised. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart. That Even if I did feel these things, I'd absolutely no right to do what I did. And she was so mad with me.
0: Oh, she was so angry. And I said to her, I said, Jenny, you will never speak to me like that again, I said. And if we are going to go down this route, there is lots of things we will have to sit down and discuss. Lots of things we will have to put behind us and move on.
1: And she was right. But it was making me more angry because I felt I'm really trying to say sorry here and I know I was wrong but I need you to understand why I feel this anger and how adoption had had such an impact on my life. A decision I had no control over. And I was really hurt that she couldn't get this.
0: You think it's going to be a honeymoon. You think, how could anything go wrong? Why wouldn't it work? Why wouldn't everyone be delighted and excited and you put the past behind you as if you could just wash it all away, as if the river could simply take it with it? But it's not like that. It's not like that at all. There's lots of emotions, lots of hurt, Lots of losses from everybody's perspective. You know, Jenny, my loss, her dad's loss, her mum and dad having to make a decision to go down the route of adoption. So there's been a lot of strands and lots of people hurt in different ways.
1: You know when you have a row with somebody that you've built years and years of a bond with them, your mother or your sister or a close friend? And you know you've done something terrible, and you've really lost the plot. But you know when you go and say sorry, you know this will be meant, this can be fixed because you've those years of bonding and being with each other together. I didn't have that. I did. I only knew this woman like two and a half, two and a half months. I didn't know whether she was going to walk away again, and I was so terrified. That she would just say, I'm out. I really can't do this. I don't need this in my life. I just lived in this panic, constant state of panic. It was hell, absolute hell for months and months and months. So the next time I saw her after that awful night was like four steps forward, ten steps backwards. And I was full of rage when I said to her I believe this was an adoption of convenience I felt like it just didn't suit at the time you know, a bit awkward I could nearly see her crumbling beside me we didn't come to a conclusion by the end of that meeting all we knew was we were going to keep plugging away at it but my heart wasn't in it at the time I was going to do it More for, God, what if I don't do it? I can't go down this road, it's her time. And my birth mum was absolutely adamant that she really, really wanted to keep trying.
0: We then made an arrangement that we would meet in a restaurant, Bar Italia. It was the worst meeting that I have ever experienced in my life. It was so, I'm here... So you're here, you know. And both of us feeling extremely uncomfortable and maybe unable to talk about it. So it was a bit of a disaster, really. And I knew she was very upset. And we both walked up from Abbey Street and she was going towards her car and I was getting the bus. And it was such a sad, lonely road.
1: The pleasure and the joy was gone out of it. And we were putting ourselves through this absolute agony. And we just, little by little by little, kept looking away at it. Started to really talk to each other about how we felt.
0: I went to Bernardo's. I did a course in Bernardo's. It was the best thing I ever did. Because that's the first place I could actually tell my story, along with 12 or 13 other women mums who had to give up their babies all around the 1970s.
1: She really started to understand my point of view as well, which I was eternally grateful for because I felt she's beginning to see it from my perspective and I'm beginning to see it from her perspective.
2: Now they're good friends again and they see a lot of each other and I got a new granny too.
1: I think we're very
0: similar. I think we're very, very similar. Tough-minded, you know. I mean, she certainly got the genes. She won't let anything go easily. Genes—that's <laughs> almost frightening. That this child, that's not been part of me, other than being with me for nine months, and yet, how similar we are.
1: So it took—it took, it took month and month and month that there was an element of, of comfortableness in having conversations with each other and going to meet each other or doing anything like that. And
0: we'll meet other... Definitely we'll meet other hills. However, I think now we're both able to put our feelings out there and say, well, this is how it was and this is how I felt. And she can tell me, well, this is how I feel... She certainly is awfully sad that she wasn't brought up with me, I think. There's no doubt about it. And I think that'll be with her forever.
1: So we were just kind of finding our feet and getting back on track. And um, my birth mum said to me, Would you like to meet your father? So I met him in the question. And he came in and he sat down. Well, hello, ladies. As if, like, I'd met him last week. How are you? You know, typical man. We sat and we chatted and we talked and we caught up with each other. It's other people that see the the resemblance between the two of us. But when he sat down and he just said, oh my God. So the three of us sat there. Like old friends. My father, who i meeting for the first time at 36 years of age. 35, I think I was, 35. My birth mother, who was married to a completely different man, lived in a different part of the city. My father, who was married to a completely different woman. And and me. We had a wonderful night. And uh, we laughed and we talked and... I told him everything he wanted to know, and it was easy.
2: It was easy, but there's still someone who doesn't know.
1: Now, I haven't
0: told my mum and my dad, and I think Jenny finds that difficult, And but she understands in a way. My mother is elderly, they're both elderly, and I feel they might find it very difficult. And they may not. I'll never know. I may regret it. I'll have to live with that one. I just feel... On the other hand, Jenny is entitled to meet her, so I am very confused about that, you know.
1: This woman is a great-grandmother and she doesn't know. You know, she's 92 now, and, and you know, as all of us will fall up this mortal coil, this woman will die. I'd love to meet her, because she sounds like... An extraordinary woman you know and I worry then about my mother that then she'll regret not not telling her but now it's wonderful it's, it's easy and it's companionable and you know we get on extremely well together we're very similar. Um, it's extraordinary how similar we are given that we didn't grow up together.
2: So that's how my mum found her birth mum and then nearly lost her, but got her back again. It wasn't a fairy tale castle in France, but we all lived happily ever after anyway.
1: thing about going down this road, it's not about replacing people. It's like extending your family. I have three families now but at the same time it can tear you because you're torn between these three different elements of your life. If somebody said to me now, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have seven. Whereas two years ago I had four. That's weird. It's birthdays, it's holidays, it's, it's extended family, it's Aunts you've never met, it's uncles you've never met. It's wonderful because you're accepted in your part of this wider circle, and this this wider. Um, the relationship isn't just with your birth mom; it filters out into their extended family, your extended family, and it beco- can become so complex, you know. And uh, but it's it's good.